Hey listeners, on May 13th, we invite you to join us and Reed Hoffman for a new virtual strategy session presented in alliance with Capital One Business. You'll hear insights from fellow entrepreneurs about how to be at the forefront of leading change with AI. So go to mastersofscale.com AI strategy right now to register for free. Again, that's mastersofscale.com AI strategy. Looking forward to seeing you there. Today's workplace, we were built for the 20th century, not the 21st century. We really looked in the mirror and said, what our employees want is not the way the firm is designed. And we decided to take on changing every business process in the firm. You can't do it on a sustainable basis just only by throwing money at the problem. But it's where do you drive differentiation? Because if we're going to be relevant, then we need to get there quickly to make sure we're not on the short end of that deal. Whoever has the courage to really create an environment where people feel the best about themselves, heart and mind, they're going to create the best client experiences. That's Tim Ryan, chair and senior partner at PwC, the global professional services firm. PwC recently announced a staggering $2.4 billion plan to create a new digital platform for employee engagement that they believe will radically redefine the workplace. I'm Bob Safian, former editor of Fast Company, founder of the Flux Group, and host of Masters of Scale Rapid Response. I wanted to talk with Tim because as the war for talent gets more competitive against the backdrop of the Great Resignation, no one has taken a bolder bet than PwC. As the patron of this unexpected effort, Tim believes that remaking the employee experience isn't a capitulation to demanding younger generations, but instead it can be a central driver of improved business results. His experience as an advisor to myriad CEOs gives him unusual insight into how C-suite executives are responding, not just to the talent war, but to today's most complex marketplace challenges, from boycotting Russia to hot-button social issues. In our talk, Tim shares what he's hearing and learning, including key lessons about scaling a culture of change, encouraging debate, and the trap of playing it safe. We'll start the show in a moment, after a word from our premier brand partner, Capital One Business. I woke up in the middle of the night because I had this nightmare that we were front page news, that we've done the stupidest mistake of our life by making this pivot. (laughs) That's Aparna Saran, Chief Marketing Officer for Capital One Business. And she's recalling a moment from her previous position at Capital One when she was heading up a team designing a new business card. We had just made the decision to go all in and sunset the prior version of the product, which was honestly the cash cow for our business. When we made that decision within a senior leadership meeting, as someone who had been on the journey to build this out for five plus years, it was really exciting. But by the time the weekend hit, I started to feel the responsibility and the pressure. We are taking this big bet on something that I've built Perhaps you've been there. You've made a pivotal decision, and then panic sets in. How would Aparna calm her butterflies and steer her team through this pivot? We'll find out later in the show. It's all part of the Refocus Playbook, 
a special series where Capital One Business highlights stories of business owners and leaders using one of Reed's theories of entrepreneurship. Today's Playbook Insight, have multiple plan Bs. I'm Bob Safian. I'm here with Tim Ryan, the chair and senior partner of PwC US. Tim, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Bob. It's great to be here today. I appreciate the time. So I'll confess that we usually don't have consultants on this program, even ones that run enormous professional service firms like PwC. But you've made some bold moves, founding CEO Action for Diversity and Inclusion in 2017, for instance, well before George Floyd's murder sparked the latest wave of corporate DEI activity. And I hope we'll get to that. The impetus for this episode, though, and the rapid response that I'm eager to learn more about is the whopping $2.4 billion investment that you recently announced that PwC is making in a platform you call MyPlus, if I have that right, right? That's aiming to kind of radically remake assumptions about the way we work. It's a big number. It's a big bet. And I'd love to hear more about it. So what is MyPlus? What does it do or what will it do? So MyPlus is the complete digitization and consumerization of our employee strategy. It is treating our employees like customers and it is bringing all choice into their hands. And it is a function of over three years of studying what the best employees want and what type of environment they want. The vision is that they will steer their career in their phone, in their day, and it'll be digital, no different than the best consumer experiences that we have in our daily lives. So there's been a lot of talk, certainly lately, about shifting expectations in the workplace and the great resignation and organizations struggling to figure out what happens in person and what happens virtually and how teams engage with each other in this world. But as you alluded to, your plan for this started before the pandemic, when a lot of other organizations were thinking about this. So can you take us back to that beginning and what the impetus was for you? I'll take you back to 2019, which was when we really started to look at this in earnest. And we were studying major trends, first of all. We were looking at the declining full-time workforce in the United States, which has been declining for 15 years now because we are an aging country. We also were looking at Department of Labor statistics that showed the contract workforce increasing and the number of people who were choosing gig-type work. We also saw the needs of our clients continue to raise, and their expectations for us were raising and raising. And so we began asking ourselves the strategic question, if our ability to meet our clients' needs depends on the best talent. Knowing that that talent market was both shrinking, i.e. declining full-time workforce, declining college enrollments, and then also knowing their preferences were changing, i.e. contracting gig, what changes do we need to make in the workplace? Because we fundamentally believe the better our people feel about work, the better work they're going to do with our clients. And what we're focused on is making sure we're ultra competitive and serving our clients. And if we do that, we think we're doing the right things by all of our major stakeholders. So I'm embarrassed to tell you that some of the things we were looking at in 2019 that we thought were bold back then now seem kind of price of admission. But as we were looking in 2019, we began studying and focus groups what is on the minds of our people, what would make them feel better about work. And I call it heart and mind. We then had the pandemic come in March of 2020. Like most businesses in the early part of the pandemic, we didn't know what to make of it. It was kind of all hands on deck. 
we put what we call the people experience kind of on the shelf. And we picked it up in earnest a little bit over a year ago. At that point, we're now knee deep in the great resignation, the great reassessment, the balance of power shifting, whatever phrase you want to use. We interviewed thousands of our people at all levels, current and former. We also talked to over a thousand of our partners to get their feedback. We interviewed and worked with over 10 leading academic institutions who study workplace, study culture, study development and employee engagement. And we also studied leading workplaces, the companies we admire as forward thinking. Bob, after all of that, it became very clear to us that this is not a debate about physical, virtual. This is not a debate about who has the power. This is about what people clearly want is they want more choice in their work lives. And if they get that choice, they'll perform better. And at the end of the day, after going through all that work and all that effort, it became very clear whoever has the courage to really create an environment where people feel the best about themselves, heart and mind, they're going to create the best customer, the best client experiences. And it led us to ultimately launching MyPlus. MyPlus is about reimagining every element of the workplace because what our people told us is they want choice around when they work. They want choice around the type of work, where they do it physically versus virtually. And they want the ability to change their mind as their lives changes. They want choice around benefits. They want choice around learning and development. They want choice around how they stay connected to their employer after they leave. And Bob, then we were honest with ourselves. We were honest because what we saw was that today's workplace is not built for choice. Like if we look at corporate America today, We were built for the 20th century, not the 21st century. Like we think we have choice, but the work hours are nine to five. The work week is 40 hours a week. The benefits, the benefits are you can have whatever benefits you want, but as long as it's a high deductible plan, the medium deductible plan or the low deductible plan. And we really looked in the mirror and said, what our employees want, current, former, and future, is not the way the firm is designed. And we decided that we were going to take on changing every business process in the firm to maximize choice because we believe it equates to performance. So in the beginning, like back in 2019, before the pandemic, because you alluded to sort of there were some ideas you had that maybe you changed, right? Yeah. So back then it wasn't necessarily about choice. It was about some other things or the choices about different things. Like you knew it was about choice then, but it's different choices. We hadn't really honed in on complete choice. And so I'm smiling as I say this. We were talking about we would be bold and go with a four-day work week. And then we had massive debates, and I'm a big believer in healthy debates, around, well, if we're going to let people do a four-day work week for flexibility, are we right to tell them what day it is? Like, if you're flexible and everybody defaults to Fridays. And so we were going after elements of choice without knowing at that point in time. And so... Your vision of what the MyPlus platform would do, and I I realize it's not built yet. I'm going to go on that smartphone and I'm going to be able to say, I want to work whatever, X number of hours for the next three months, but a different number of hours for the three months after that. And I'll be able to sort of choose each piece of that at any time. I first want to put the anchor in the ground. We're always going to meet our clients' needs, right? Any of us who take our eyes off our customers, we run the risk of not being relevant. But what we'll do is we will create a technology platform that makes sure all of our disparate systems today, think deployment, think finance, think scheduling, think benefits, think development, 
they'll all first talk to one another and they'll be underneath a platform. Bob, you may say, you know what? In January, February, March, I'm good at 60 hours a week, and I'd prefer to work on companies that are private companies, traditionally smaller, and if you have them, I'd like to work on them in the retail space. And they put that in there. And then what it does is it matches our disparate system. It's okay, Bob, we have these three clients where you have the credentials today to do the work. Or better yet, you might not have the credentials, but here's two courses you need to invest in in order for us to give you that choice because we do have a number of clients where we have those needs. By the way, I may not want 60 hours that week, but because it's our busy season, we may say, Tim, we can't give you 30, but we can give you 40 because we need that. So it's not unbridled choice. It's business rules that match up the demand with what they need. And then you may say, Bob, back in July and June, I coach a little league team and I really like 20 hours a week and I like no travel. And we put it in there and we're matching our systems and with our capacity, we should be able to run that business differently. And that choice comes. But if you notice what I did, I linked your choice with your development. Because what we won't do, if you want to go do a cyber assessment at a client and you have no cyber expertise, the answer will be no, but it'll then lay out a path if you choose to go on that path It'll allow you to own your career digitally. And compensation in this is all linked directly to hours? It'll be an element of the amount of time you choose to work, but also with the impact. So hours will be a baseline because, again, transparency is key. If someone's willing to put in the time, we will pay for that. But there'll also be an element of impact. And this platform, this is just for your internal use. This isn't necessarily a product that you would make available, or might it be a product at some point? So over the last several years, we have gone on a journey. We've moved fully into the cloud, and that's made us better as a firm, but that's also allows us to advise our clients better because we know the experience that takes. We've also done an employee upskilling, which has been a huge platform for us. Similarly here, I do believe this is where the corporate world will be going at the end of the day. And that's because I'm an optimist. I believe our economy will boom. I believe we'll solve important challenges like climate, modernization of our healthcare system and the like. And that's going to lead to a booming economy. And if we're all fighting for the war for talent, we're all going to need to go on this choice path. So ultimately, this could be a platform or a way we advise clients, but we'll first do it to ourselves. And trust me, Bob, we'll make dozens and dozens of mistakes every month and we'll work those kinks out and allow us to be better as we ultimately bring this to our clients. But the investment that you're making, this two-plus billion-dollar investment, is not necessarily predicated on an expected revenue return from that. No, that's absolutely right. This is an investment, and we've done the math, and what this will ultimately lead to is better productivity for our people and better client satisfaction. Is that like the metrics you're going to be looking at to gauge if it's success, satisfaction, or are there specific metrics for this kind of a program? So it's a couple of things. We will look at client satisfaction. Outcomes matter. And at this point, if our clients are satisfied, if they are telling us we're doing a good job, that ultimately is what we're trying to do. And the only way to drive higher client satisfaction, higher client loyalty, stronger brand with our clients is to have employees who feel great about themselves and believe in the firm. So one will be client satisfaction. The next one will be what our people are telling us about work. Retention is one element of that, but our people are going to tell us how well we're doing around helping them feel great about themselves. Like we survey that today. How do they feel about the work environment? How do they feel about their ability to not only be themselves, but be able to realize themselves in the workplace? And that'll be an element of success as well. And ultimately, Bob, it's going to be the talent coming through the doors. 
our business is growing. Like we've grown in each of the last several years. And if the right talent is coming through the door. PwC is a global business. You run the U.S. portion of it. Is MyPlus first just for the U.S.? I run the U.S., but I also sit on our global leadership team. What we've done, Bob, our path to scale is we do things first in the U.S., work out the kinks and roll it out, moving to the cloud. That was our approach. The upskilling, that was our approach. So the idea is we'll do it here. And then I would envision us rolling this out on a global basis. What are the issues that get brought up to you about, like, should we be doing this? And how do you respond to those challenges? Yeah, I'm smiling again for our listeners. Like, of course there were, I mean, again, I am a massive believer in healthy debate, like massive believer. In fact, I love the debate and I learned from it. And so we've had massively healthy debates even to this day, right? So what are some of the views around the table? Look, some believe that we're one good recession from going back to seeing the balance of power shift back to the employer from the employee. Some believe that. I don't believe that. Some believe that you can't run a business satisfying clients if you're giving your employees choice. Some believe that if you give too much power, you actually will lose client satisfaction. Some believe the complexity is so hard to do it that three years is too aggressive, right? I think all of those are massively important points of view. On the first part, are we one great recession? I believe if we go down that path of thinking, what we're really saying is we don't believe in our economy. We really don't believe in the data. The data shows the US is an aging workforce. The data shows that 5 million people left the workforce as a result of this pandemic. And while they may come back, they're gonna come back in different roles. Certainly not the traditional career they grew up in and the hours and the intensity. We believe this is a real trend we need to address. So we've had those candid debates. And when I mean candid, I mean candid over months and months, not candid, we're in the room, we gotta get out an hour and decide. Let's think about it, let's study it, let's follow up on those points. Firms like PwC tend to be organized around projects and assignments, right? Teams come together and then they disband and reform. And this MyPlus feels particularly suited to that kind of work. You've got clients with a lot of more traditional structures to their businesses. How do you advise them about addressing their version of this talent workplace challenge? Or is part of that to encourage them to think of things in a more project-oriented way? So one of the best privileges of my job is I get to meet with hundreds of CEOs a year. Certainly over the last year, the talent discussion has moved to the top of the agenda. Now, in many cases, that discussion is going simply to what do I need to do to improve retention? In other cases, the struggle around physical versus virtual. Many CEOs who I might have talked to 12 or 14 months ago were dug in on, they got to come back to the office. And their positionings are evolving, which I think is a credit to the adaptability and agility of CEOs to read the environment and adapt. In the early weeks of the pandemic, we saw businesses really pivot and change at a dramatic rate. And at that time, you probably heard a lot of the same things I was hearing, which is, how do we keep that pace going? And that as time has passed, things have sort of slipped back. And if I'm hearing from you, it's sort of like, we need to keep that pace of adaptability high. Yeah, we do, Bob. And, and here's why, right? Investors invest capital in businesses, and that's healthy. Whether that's public, private, private equity, whatever it is, they invest. Investors expect a return. So the question then becomes, how do you make sure you're the one keeping your investors happy? It's pretty basic when you think about it at that level. So I do see this as a need to move fast because if we're going to be relevant, 
in that very simple world I laid out there, then we need to get there quickly to make sure we're not on the short end of that deal. Because I don't think any of our investors are going to give us slack. I don't think our clients are going to, or customers will give us any slack, which means we need to be willing to get to the root opportunity. And the opportunity is differentiation. And, and clearly compensation is the number one thing most employees say is important, or it's certainly a top three. But it's where do you drive differentiate? Like your dollar is the same as mine. Like you don't drive differentiation on the dollar or, or crypto or whatever currency you're paying. But what you do drive differentiation on is the experience and the choice. And Bob, we've seen dozens of companies in the retail space over the years create these amazing customer experiences. Like we all talk about the iconic hotels and the experience is different, right? That's what we're talking about here. Like it's new, but it's not new. Like what we're talking about is motivating, inspiring workforce and creating business processes that allow them to be their best. And great things happen ultimately for the investor and the customers got in between in a good way. <laughs> we'll be back in a moment after a word from our premier brand partner, Capital One Business. There was panic that set in that night because I didn't want to let people down. We're back with Aparna Saran of Capital One Business. She was recalling the time she woke up in a cold sweat, terrified that the new product she had been working on might fail. So the next morning, she sat down and wrote an email. It was Sunday morning, and I said, you know what? I'm going to just like share this with my peers it was very emotional. It was like sort of a cry for help. Aparna realized that if the new product didn't take off, she needed a plan B, preferably multiple plan Bs. I'm inviting them to be the thought partners so that we are mitigating as much risk as possible and we have contingency plans in place as we make this move. You write something like this and your heart is pounding, should I send this? It was a super vulnerable moment for me. But then I was like, I'm going to just send this. Like, what's the worst that will happen? It can't be worse than being on the front page of the newspaper. So she held her breath and hit send. What happened next would surprise even her. We'll hear about that later in the show. It's all part of Capital One Business's Spotlight on Business Leaders, following Reed's Refocus Playbook. Before the break, we heard PwC's Tim Ryan talk about the firm's $2.4 billion plan for a new platform that gives employees vast new choices in a way that he contends will drive performance. Now, he talks about other elements that can differentiate a business, from taking a public stance on diversity and social issues to PwC's decision to cease its operations in Russia. Plus, he explains why scaling a culture of change is so hard and shares lessons about the perils of what he calls playing it safe. There are other ways that businesses are differentiating or maybe being pushed to differentiate right now. I'm thinking particularly the pressure on CEOs to act on social and political issues, to stand for things in ways that they didn't before. And I'm curious what you think about the role of business should be in these social issues. I first tell you, for your listeners, it is not easy. Anybody who wants to say it's easy hasn't sat in the chair. No doubt about it, the role of the CEO today is massively more challenging than the role just even three years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago. Today, when you look at the distrust in our society, look at the number of issues, people expect the CEO community to weigh in on a whole bunch of other topics. Problem is we can't weigh in on everything because if we take the eye off the ball, we're in real trouble because we won't be fulfilling what we're supposed to be doing. 
For me, it ties back to what are your core values and what's important to those stakeholders, investors, customers, employees. And if something is going to affect how our people feel at work and their ability to be happy and focused on what we're trying to do, we've got to weigh in and we've got to let them know. If something is more ancillary, then we make sure we let our people know we're thinking about it, but I try not to weigh in on that. You asked about the debate around the table when we were going through My Plus. One of the questions was like, are we being woke giving our employees these power? And our answer was absolutely not. Like it has nothing to do with being woke. It's about running a better business. It's about giving our people the choice so they can go serve our clients better. If we can give our employees certainty in an uncertain world, if we can help them know what we stand for and create a better environment, we're going to weigh in or we're going to try to address it. Sometimes you address it with a public statement. Other times you address it by talking to them. Other times you address it by providing benefits or support. This is a top three or four issue when I travel with CEOs and we share with each other how we're learning in this day and age, especially when the expectations are high. So I want to try to break that down a little bit. You know, you see what happened with Disney in Florida, right? They responded to their employees and it's created a potential business problem for them. And I don't know whether when you look at that situation, it's like, is that appropriate to their values? Is it necessary? Is it actually a business opportunity, not a business risk? Or how do you calibrate those moments? So I wasn't at Disney. I wasn't involved. So it's hard for me to comment on that. But let me answer it this way. The world is short on trust at the end of the day. There's a lot of finger pointing in the world. And by the way, unfortunately, I don't see that getting any better, right? There's a wealth gap. There's a food gap. There's a water gap. There's an opportunity gap. And it leads to a lot of finger pointing and, and a lot of emotions. And what businesses are dealing with is they're being challenged on their trustworthiness. Do you pay your fair share of taxes? Do you stand for diversity? Do you stand for a safe workplace? Are your algorithms biased? Are you using consumer data the right way? Are you protecting data? Did you say you were going to do something around the George Floyd movement and you didn't do it? Like they all go to elements of trust. I think what we as a business community are learning is that that can't be a part-time job. Many of us were taught, like business and business school. We were taught finance, accounting. There's a whole new set of skills that we need to learn and quickly because everything I just rattled off are going to get harder and harder. And that's the lens, both from a management and a governance standpoint, that I think is important that we as a business community go on and try to learn. So I want to ask you about, say, Russia. PwC chose to withdraw from Russia. Was that a difficult decision? Was there a process that you use for that that you also use for other kinds of things? So when Russia invaded Ukraine, our global leadership team sat down and we talked. We got feedback from our people, got feedback from our clients, got feedback from our partners, and we made the decision that we would no longer do business in Russia and we no longer have a member firm in Russia. And it is a good example of a very difficult decision. It's a good example of how we go about solving it. It's a good example of getting many, many different points of views and ultimately needing to land to make a decision. And it's a decision that from a business point of view, it costs you money, at least in the immediate reaction, right? Yeah, it does. But it goes back to values and it goes back to how do our employees feel about themselves, right? Which if I can, I'm going to go all the way back to 2016, if I can, if that's okay. Yeah. So people often ask me, how do we start CEO Action for Diversity and Inclusion? My first week as chair and senior partner of PwC, it began July 1, 2016. 
by the time we got to that Friday morning, so my first four full days in the job, when we walked into work on that Friday morning, there had been shootings in Dallas, and that was in the heels of Minneapolis in Louisiana. It may sound like it was 2020, it was 2016. And we all knew on my team, something bad happened. We sent an email to all 50,000 people, and we said, look, like we know this is unsettling, and we want to let you know we're here. Bob, it wasn't remarkable. It wasn't heroic. It was pretty basic, right? It was cookie cutter, the right thing to do. What was amazing is the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of emails that came in, but one knocked me for a loop. It changed the leader that I've ultimately become since 2016. One person wrote, when I came to work Friday morning, the silence was deafening. And Bob, for me, first of all, I felt like garbage. Like that's the environment that I'm creating. But the second thing is I realized that I confused, at the time, physical attendance for heart and mind. What did that person do on that Friday for our clients? And my guess is not much. And my guess is that wasn't the only person. And so a big part of what goes through our decision-making is what type of environment are we creating? Because I want that person to be happy. I want them to be safe. But I also want them to do great, amazing things. So 2016, that first week, shaped us. And whether it's a complicated decision like Russia or anything else, like how does it affect our employee psyche? So it doesn't have to be a moral decision to be a clear business decision. Yeah, I don't think so. Like there's clear things that align with our values, but it's about having the discussion. I do feel as a CEO, I'm using quotes because I'm a chair and senior partner, like I do feel this tremendous responsibility to do what's in the best interest of all of our employees. Now that's hard because everyone is different, but you try to be guided by some basic values. When you launched CEO Action, I'm sure you had a lot of hopes about what the impact was going to be. Looking back, what kind of progress did we make for the first few years? And what kind of progress have we made in the last couple of years since 2020? If I go back to CEO Action, which you mentioned was launched in June of 2017, what we saw was that notwithstanding massive progress over a 20-year period, there was still even more things that needed to be done. Like the progress paled in comparison to what was left in the journey. And notwithstanding most major companies having programs and training, what was clear, at least in my view in corporate America, was it wasn't safe to talk about this issue, the issue of race. And so we launched CEO Action, and one of the first basic commitments we asked companies to do was we asked CEOs to make it safe, and I mean truly safe, to talk about the issue of race. And companies that joined made that commitment. And what we saw in 2017, what we saw in 2018, what we saw in 2019 was more and more companies opening up the aperture to have the conversation, the uncomfortable conversations. Unfortunately, George Floyd was murdered. Now, when he was murdered, what it did is it massively accelerated that companies, society having these conversations. Since George Floyd's killing, we've seen more progress in the boardroom around diversity and representation in one year or one and a half years than we did in a 10-year period. I think you're also seeing more improvement in the executive suites. The next big challenge is on the talent attraction and the retention piece and the rest of organizations. 
And these conversations, if I'm hearing you, I'm not sure I'm interpreting it right, but it sounds like these conversations accelerated but didn't necessarily go to new places. They've just broadened the conversations that were sort of nascent underway before. Since George Floyd's killing, companies in their own way, shape, or form are having discussions. They're talking about what it's like to be, what I learned at PwC, what it's like to be a black person and feel safe in our office, but then walk to a softball game down Fifth Ave with t-shirt on, not your suit, and not feel safe. I didn't know that. What it's like to be black and teach your child to get pulled over. But what we're also learning is what it's like to be white and not know how to help. Like, I don't know how to help. Help me understand how I can help and how my actions unintentionally may cause us to take a step backwards. Bob, those discussions are happening almost everywhere. And that's encouraging, right? And I think that is a foundation to improvement. I wish it would move faster and faster, given how strongly I feel about this. But it is a foundation. Like, you can't build a house without foundation. I think that corporate America has been rapidly filling that foundation since George Floyd killing. The changes and convulsions that we've experienced over the last couple of years, it does feel like we're at an inflection point as a world on so many of these issues. As you think about how they're coming through, you think about the investments you're making at PwC, what do you feel like is at stake for PwC right now? What's at stake for us is lead. Do we lead or do we let the complexity of what's in front of us cause us not to lead? I passionately believe the next type of skill set that will occupy the corner offices of this country's corporations and the world's corporations will be executives who can lead large groups of people on change. Like if anything, and again, I'm an optimist. If you look at our world over the next 30 years, we're going to change and transition because of climate. We're going to go into the metaverse. We're going to go into web 3.0. We're going to navigate workforce shortages because the world in where we do business, the markets are getting older. Transition is the name of the game. Like how we move from old to new, the past to the present, it's all going to change. We're not talking about 10. We're talking about 10,000, 20,000, 100,000 people. How do you lead them and let them know it's going to be okay? How do you lead them that know there's going to be something better on the other side? Why meeting the day-to-day -day needs of the business? That skill set is the skill set boards need to be looking for, that CEOs need to be developing. And for the listeners for this show, they're predominantly business leaders and entrepreneurs. They want to think entrepreneurially. Are there new lessons that you've gleaned over the last couple of years about how you address that challenge? I always tell people, give me an hour and I can at least begin to scratch the surface on all of my mistakes. I would say the old adage is, the risk isn't too much change. The risk is you miss the opportunity. We've seen too many of us, and we've done it at a time where you over-focus on the strategy, but it's really about just getting moving and going the opportunity. If my plus doesn't work, right, we're not going out of business. But if we create a culture, if I create a culture where we're not going to take risk and lead, that can put us out of business over time. And so what I've learned is that I've got to be okay. We have to be okay with not having all the answers. Anytime you're going through change, it stinks, it's hard, it's hard. And the best leaders, they shorten that downslope as quick as possible. But the alternative is a culture of playing it safe. And if you play it safe, you won't survive. Like you may get some good short-term metrics because you can fake it for a while, but ultimately you won't survive over the long term. 
Well, that's great. Well, listen, thanks for doing this. It's been great. Yeah, thank you so much for the opportunity and having me here. I appreciate it very much. Thank you. And now, a final word from our brand partner, Capital One Business. Throughout the day, text messages and emails kept pouring in. Whatever you need, just let us know. We're back one more time with Aparna Saran of Capital One Business. She was telling us about a Sunday morning email she fired off in a moment of panic. Minutes later, her inbox was overflowing. And the support she found wasn't just emotional, it was practical. We talked about detailed contingency plans and we created our go-to-market strategy. Before we are in full rollout mode, we had stage gates so that we could test and quickly learn and iterate. And within a matter of like six months, as we were rolling things out channel by channel, those stage gates would allow us to pivot if we saw something that we didn't like. That day, Aparna learned a lesson that stayed with her. Having multiple plan Bs doesn't just expand your options. It gives you new opportunities. The best way to pivot is actually open doors for thoughtful conversations because humility in knowing that you actually don't know everything as well as the empathy in knowing that disruption is always drastic and abrupt helps you go through that pivot with other people in a very different way. Capital One Business is proud to support entrepreneurs and leaders working to scale their impact from Fortune 500s to first-time business owners. For more resources to help drive your business forward, visit CapitalOne.com slash Business Hub. That's CapitalOne.com slash Business Hub. Masters of Scale Rapid Response is a Wait What original. It's hosted by me, Bob Safian, Masters of Scale's editor-at-large. Masters of Scale host is Reid Hoffman. Our executive producers are June Cohen, Darren Triff, and Jordan McLeod. Our head of content and production is Lori Hoffman. Our producer is Marie McCoy-Thompson. Scripts by Alex Morris and Tucker Ligurski. Our music director is Ryan Holiday. Original music and sound design by Eduardo Rivera. Audio editing by Keith J. Nelson, Stephen Davies, Andrew Nault, and Mike Gallagher. Mixing and mastering by Aaron Bastinelli. Special thanks to Adam Skuse, Catherine Clark Gray, Emily McManus, Adam Heiner, Colin Howarth, Tim Cronin, Kelsey Capitano, Sammy Aputa, Anna Pizzino, Sarah Tartar, Leah Saramedis, Charlie Manessis, Chinemia Zaquena, Aria Finger, and Saida Sapieva. Visit mastersofscale.com slash rapid response to find the transcript for this episode. And please subscribe to our email newsletter. Become a member of Masters of Scale to get access to a year's worth of courses and content on the Masters of Scale courses app. Find out more at mastersofscale.com slash membership.